Hey, my name is Panta Kalhor and you're listening to Transition by Panta Kalhor podcast. I created this platform to help you grow and move forward easier through your transition, whether in parenthood, job transition, healing journey, or starting a brand new life. Episode 72, Author's Promotion Show, The Ultimate College Financial Aid Guide with Dr. Diana Barbo. Please subscribe to Panta Kalhor Transition Channel and order my book Rules of Change for the Better. Tune up your mood and transform your life to reach your biggest dreams. Hello everyone. Another exciting day with another exciting uh, guest, we have Dr. Diana Barbo with her book, The Ultimate Guide to College Financial Aid. And I saw her book, I bought it and read it. It's a beautiful book and lots of great information for whoever wants to save some money for college, <laughs> right? How you can um, have the better financial decision for your college because there are lots of uh, students still don't know how to apply uh, how to get uh, support and um, this is actually us based uh, but still um, it gives you a lot of shortcuts <laughs> to understand how you can actually apply to your own um, country Thank you for being here, Dr. Diana Barbo. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a real honor to talk to you today about finance and college and everything else that goes with it. Uh, yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, first, tell me about yourself. What is your degree? And uh, how did you become uh, interested into this ultimate guide to college financial aid oh so um well so i i can take you a little bit way back so uh in 2008 i was graduating with my master's uh from rutgers university uh, up in new jersey and then as i was looking for a job the recession hit so there were no jobs anywhere and prior to that i i used to teach computer science in a prior life i guess um, so the, the first job that I got uh, in 2009, eventually, uh, was uh, at the university here. We moved to Tallahassee, so I'm in Florida. Um, so I got a job at the university, and then I ended up in academic affairs. And I absolutely, absolutely loved it. So I started working in academic affairs. And then I was like, well, I really love the field. I love what I'm doing. Uh, the focus was on student success. And it always is, right? So all colleges and universities want their students to succeed and want themselves, right, to thrive and in the long run and kind of provide opportunities for more students and kind of really make a difference in their communities and contribute to economic, uh, make an economic impact. So um, then I decided that maybe is the time to actually add to my education. Uh, my undergrad was in computer science and math, so I'm a dork, I guess. Me too. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm I have software engineer degree, yes. 
and um, and I decided to go for a PhD. And uh, Florida State University has a great program, obviously, right? Uh, a great program, a great uh, PhD in higher education. So I enrolled. Obviously, I applied. They accepted me, and then I enrolled. And all this while, I was basically working full time in uh, eventually in a regulatory agency that basically oversees all the public universities in Florida. And so working full time, going to school full time, uh, you know, cause who needs a life, right? So there you go. Uh, so I graduated, I defended about four and a half years later. So I graduated five years later. Um, and then I started kind of, uh, thinking about all the research and thinking about all the resources and all the exposure that I had through my work and through my job uh, to the kind of problems that uh, students and parents may encounter. And the other side of it is that all of this information is sometimes put in some kind of a lingo that's not necessarily easy to understand and not necessarily accessible. And yeah, if you have enough time and resources, right, you can learn everything. Like that's my theory of life. The only problem is that you never have enough time and resources. You actually need somebody to actually translate stuff for you so that you can use it. You can go, go at it and be like, oh, this means this, this means that. So this is how I can actually make sense of this and use it as opposed to kind of uh, going to the internet, right? With a question like how many of us uh, felt like a beached whale, right? So, so basically you're going online and you're like, oh, I just have this quick question. What's a Pell Grant and what are the specifications that go with it? And you kind of go on and on and on and search and go to this website, that website, and then something pops up and then you're like, it's like super glitzy and all that. So that you then you eventually focus on the glitzy thing and three hours go by. And by the time the three hours go by, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> what did I try to accomplish? What was I trying to kind of find out? I don't know, but I'm exhausted so so basically what i was thinking about is coming up with this kind of guide um, to kind of put all the information together all in one place that if somebody actually decides to allocate it three to five hours they know everything there is to know about financial aid or everything there is to know about college admissions or different other aspects of college so that they know i'm going to purchase this thing i'm going to make this investment give it three to five hours of my time. I learn everything there is to know, make sense of it, and then I can move on with my life. And then the other side of it is, right, um, the blindsided, right? What you don't know can really hurt you. So, But if somebody kind of takes the time to actually walk you through everything there is to know, then there's no surprises down the road. So you don't have to really worry about Am I missing something? Am I not seeing something? Will that something that I don't know really kind of hurt me in the long run? So, so this is kind of how I came up with the whole concept of uh, the guide. <laughs> uh, so, Diana, in uh, Canada, uh, as permanent resident and citizen, uh, we have some um, uh, financial aid if we want to get um, our degree. So, and it's not really difficult to find out, uh, but what I wanted to know when uh, I was going to uh, apply for a PhD, 
then I see there are lots of scholarships that you are really um, surprised. You don't know which one to get, what to do. And it's not just for college and different degrees like master, higher, um, other bachelor and PhD. Is that the same in US? And uh, did you br bring all the universities in US uh, in one book? So, uh, so the focus for this book is on undergraduate education in the US. So, so basically, the reason why that is, is that in, I guess, in the US, the difference in between undergrad and grad, right, masters and PhDs, it's very, very clearly defined. And in order to apply for a scholarship at the undergrad level, it's a whole different process from applying for a scholarship at the grad level. And the other side of it is that uh, the undergrad level kind of scholarships can come from three different sources, right? So it can come from the federal government that you kind of file the FAFSA and then the feds kind of uh, process. It's really the financial aid officers that process your FAFSA and everything else and see if you're eligible for that. Uh, the second source of scholarships and uh, grants really um, it's are, are the states. So basically they are the other entity that could provide students with uh, extra money. And then the third source of scholarships and grants are the universities. Uh, now, the thing is that the federal government is the only entity that can actually provide the loans to students as well as the private sector. But the private sector, it's a whole different story, like completely different story. But basically, the financial aid officers, when somebody submits the FAFSA, um, are kind of running that FAFSA through these three kind of uh, potential funders and kind of identifying how much money you would be eligible for. So, um, so just talk about your journey to authorship. It's going to be interesting for my audience because a lot of them wish to publish their book and they don't know how to start. First, tell me, how long did it take you publish your book? Is that your first one? And it was in a very good shape, I see. Uh, Thank you, you're very kind. Yes, yes. I mean, you already got the new release and uh, best new release and best bestseller, yeah? Not yet. Not yet. I think that. Yeah. Because you have a very narrow niche. So yes. you need to market in very narrow market. And uh, it's not yet yeah, like, I think any book uh, needs to find its audience. Yep. Doesn't matter how narrow is this. Because there are lots of college students desperately need your book. Let's hope you're right. <laughs> so how long did it take from the moment you started thinking about writing a book and then publish it? For me, it took two years. <laughs> oh, uh, so from the moment I was contemplating of this even being an option, it's been about five years. So even contemplating that maybe, uh, right, um, I should start writing and kind of strengthen my writing and kind of clarify it and, you know, have a structure. I mean, 
you know, a structure that it's easy to read, understand, digest, and kind of, you know, usable. Um, so it took it took a long time from that perspective. And uh, there was, then I, I wanted to actually start writing. So I set up a blog uh, and that were my first, those were my first kind of writing attempts per se. Uh, the, that blog doesn't exist anymore, but I still have some posts on collegetalk.us now. Um, and just kind of getting my feet wet. Oh, and the other side of it is that writing the book, it's, I guess, the culmination, but there was a lot of effort behind it. And I happen to be very particular about how I like to write. So I'm very much a paper and kind of pen type of writer. So I filled many of these <laughs> just with ideas and things to, you know. Uh, but really, the opportunity to actually delve into this 100% came with COVID. Like, this is when the opportunity presented itself, and uh, I started kind of exploring the ideas more and more, and I was uh, kind of thinking about how do I put this together so that it's easy to use, actionable, you know, people can actually take it, be like, I understand this, here's how I compare colleges, here's how I determine my out-of-pocket cost. Um, and I started writing to realize that I'm going to end up with a 500 page kind of thing because I started writing about the whole college admission process, like the entire thing. And then I realized that nobody's going to buy a 500 page book or at least not from me being in the beginning of the process and kind of learning my way around and everything else. And that was when I was like, okay. If there's a way to actually time this right and kind of provide people with the information that they need specifically, how about I actually break the book into a couple of into a couple of booklets or smaller books, basically, and uh, kind of get familiar with the process, get it out there in front of people, and kind of feel my way through it. And that's how uh, the ultimate guide financial aid. Uh, came uh, came about uh, the whole process. Once I kind of figured out how to put it together, took about six months. Yeah. So just just yeah. about that. Why, but, why? Yeah. Yeah. It took me some time. Just I I had this in my mind that I have to write the book. Then I beat and pieces when I was at work. I wrote in large time. And then when I really decided to publish it, then it didn't take too long. So do you think for your next book, uh, how long does it take? Is it six months again? Oh, I don't think so. Um, I got to say that the cover and everything else that goes with it and the formatting were a bear. <laughs> Those took about two months easy. Um, for the next one, I kind of have pieces of it written. So my plan is to actually launch the prequel to the current one <laughs> in August, right? So oh, beautiful. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how that's going to play out. But that's kind of the goal right now. But um, it's it's a process, and I'm learning a lot. And it's like you said, right? You you need to find your audience for the book and you need to find your niche properly and identify them properly. And I think I did. I just uh, didn't really have a chance to actually spend 
enough time on that. I so understand. I'm with you. <laughs> so let's uh, get back in a few seconds. We have a break for a few seconds. We come back. Please subscribe to Panta Kalhor Transition Channel and order my book Rules of Change for the Better. Tune up your mood and transform your life to reach your biggest dreams. Okay, we are back. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any recommendation for new authors who postpone their plan for a long time? <laughs> well, I was one of them. Uh, what I found, and I don't have here, uh, what I found uh, that worked for me was obviously having time to actually allocate to it. Um, when I was working and writing, so basically when I had the regular nine to five, you know, 10 hour work days, there was no way I could do it. Um, but once things kind of loosened up a little bit, things were much easier. Um, what I found is that you start and you write whatever and you just write and it doesn't matter what. And then eventually, because you can edit stuff after you put it on the page, but you cannot edit nothing really. So, so I would just write and uh, at some point, you know, like you love writing and all that. And, but at some point it's like, really, I have to do it again and again and again. And um, I bought myself an hourglass for 15 minutes, like honestly, and I don't have it in this office. It's anyway. So I would make myself write for 15 minutes. And at the end of the 15 minutes, if I was feeling like this is enough, I don't want to do it anymore. I would allow myself to be okay with it and not write and be fine to move on to whatever is next. Well, I discovered in the process that my biggest problem was starting, not, not doing the thing, but starting. And those 15 minutes were enough time to actually get me started, get me excited, kind of get me into the right mindset and everything else to move forward. And once I did 15 minutes, of course, I would go for an hour or two, you know, and then as the process kind of progressed, I was starting to give myself uh, a number of hours that I would need to write every day. And <laughs> I would actually uh, plan to write for about four or five hours a day. Uh, I'm not writing at that rhythm right now. Uh, and I would just kind of break those into 30 minutes things. And every 30 minutes I would take a break and stretch or whatever, and then kind of go back to another 30 minutes and so on and so forth. Uh, you, know, you can you can't force to write, isn't it? You have right. to put, you have to be in a mood because then you don't have a good quality. Yeah, the mood. Yeah, I guess it didn't really work for me. <laughs> uh, for me, it was more like put words on paper and think about. And in the in the very beginning, it was just not think about anything just put them on paper just kind of um I, I think i read this thing somewhere uh like you're basically shoveling sand in a sandbox and that's that's what worked for me and then kind of thinking through it and rearranging it uh, that that made me kind of help polish the whole thing and it was like a lot of iterative process of 
let's polish some more and some more and some more. And then <clears throat> at some point, I basically set my husband by my side and I'm like, here's how I'm planning to actually uh, put everything together so that it flows. What do you think? So we would kind of talk through things on in terms of flow. So that helped really a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have someone beside you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think everybody kind of has the rhythm and whatever works for them. And sometimes there were times when I really had to kind of make myself do it. And yeah, <laughs> mine was, uh, was a different story. Like um, I made my, like for my second book, it was interesting. Se third book, actually. My third book, Naturally Conceived. I had 22 contributors there. And because I had, the interesting thing is, was it was not chapter based. You uh, read my book, right? yes, yes, I did. I it loved was it. Topic based. I already wrote the book long before publishing the book. I wrote it, but the problem was I had contributors, and I had to uh, somehow insert those ideas inside the book. So that's why so many things changed. <laughs> but. I knew from the beginning what I'm going to write. Structure, oh, okay. the structure was already there. So that really helped me. And one of the problems with writing is people don't know how many chapters they want to have and what they want to write inside. <laughs> yeah. That was the problem. But I always have a structure. Like for my mm, rules of change, for, for my second book, uh, I knew exactly how many, like overally how many rules I have. Mm -hmm. And then in revised edition, I had to um, cut some rules because it was big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, for my next book, uh, exactly from the beginning, I knew how many chapters again. So oh. it's so good to know and uh, don't try to add anything so limit yourself to what you're gonna write that's the problem because i i had a i had an accountability partner we talked to each other uh, on uh, each other's book and every day she said i'm gonna add this chapter this chapter is not good i'm gonna go back said, oh, you have to limit yourself finish it please yeah yes <laughs> finish it but that's great because your first book is like that your yeah. first book because you want to be perfect and you go for perfection so you're never going to be published because you think you are not enough but the problem is as soon as you write and don't later you can correct it when you write it yeah. and sometimes i uh, i use the speech recognition software yeah. i don't know if you use it or not it doesn't work for me. I, 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 as yeah, in, it, it doesn't work for mentally me. for me. It worked. Sometimes I really didn't want to write. So I just uh, talked to the computer. Even if I have accent, it, it was a bit difficult. But there is there are some softwares that uh, actually practice your accent. So exactly. they learn what you say. And that You're was them. Sometimes I wrote a lot, like few, like I, I tell you, 10 pages, 10 pages, just talking, 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 talking. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for a week, I didn't do anything. <laughs> That's, yeah. I and think. as you said, 
writing a book in one side and then uh, another side is finding editor cover and i do my covers right now myself because i learned how to do it and because we have a computer background it's easier to do technical stuff for me but uh, before uh, i had to realize recognize how um, what is the format where can i you know where can i uh, do it you know so yeah Uh, many things to learn but as soon as you publish it for the first time second third time is so easy and it's it's a really great excitement to see your published book yeah Yeah. and see reviews come in and you know hope that they're gonna be good and (laughs) yeah Yeah. so uh this is your website college.us what do you have so, uh, so basically, uh, one of the most important things and one of the things that the book is kind of centered around, it's a college comparison worksheet. So I have the college comparison worksheet on my website. It's free for everybody to use. And basically what happens with financial aid letters is that different schools, right, universities, colleges have different ways of kind of arranging the information. And some schools provide some of the information, but other schools don't provide some of the information. Um, And calculating your out-of-pocket cost, how much it's actually going to cost you for one year, um, it tends to be a little bit more difficult because there's two pieces to it, right? So there's the total cost of attendance, and some schools provide that information and some schools don't. So basically, the book explains if your school doesn't provide this, here's where you go, here's where you kind of, uh, here's how you find the total cost of attendance. And then the, the second side of the thing is, right, the kind of money that you're getting from the feds, from the state, and from the institution. Um, so now, once you have the cost of attendance and you have the grants and uh, the scholarships that you're getting from feds, uh, scholar, uh, state, and um the institution, now you can actually determine your out-of-pocket cost. But what happens is that not all schools arrange the the information in the same way, and some of them leave information out. And not necessarily intentionally, it might be, you know, it's just like everything that schools are like humans, right? We have our own way of doing certain things, and that's how we deal with it. Um, And Schools have their own system set up a certain way. So, you know, so basically the college comparison worksheet basically forces you to actually plug in all the information from the financial aid letter into this spreadsheet. It calculates your out-of-pocket automatically, and it does it for as many schools as you want to kind of plug in, right? That's amazing. and then eventually you actually can compare college A and college B once you have all the information in specifically because many financial aid information, uh, financial aid letters are going to provide you with total. So this is your total after financial aid. And sometimes that financial aid can include loans, right? Because there's no standardization, no, no um, like set, you can include this or that or whatever. Um, but the spreadsheet basically shows you now that you have cost of attendance and you kind of take out the grants and scholarships out of the cost of attendance, this is how much each one of these schools are going to cost. So now if you want the cost comparison, <clears throat> excuse me, this is how you should do it. That's good. Um, you actually save a lot of time. With, 
Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna show you whatever it's missing from the financial aid letter. So, so I mean, I included in the book four financial aid letters, sample financial aid letters that the same student provided. So basically, here's one student that filed the FAFSA, the same kind of financial information, and out of those four schools, one of them actually didn't provide the student with the federal grant and loan. And it's not clear why. And basically, once that kind of information would be added to the financial aid letter, the cost, the total cost, of, uh, the, the out-of-pocket cost would actually go down. Um, so that spreadsheet helps you really identify. I don't have this information, so I need it. And the book kind of shows you how to get it. Um, and um, Here's what other information the school didn't provide you, and you should ask for if you're really, really interested in attending. Beautiful. Thank you so much. All right, absolutely. Here, I really enjoyed it, and hopefully uh, students who really wish to save some money and compare their color, uh, different uh, college, um, compare the financial aids, they can choose what they want. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah.